House prices in Australia continue to grow at around 10% a year, so it's no wonder people are finding it hard to achieve the great Australian dream. This is due to a number of economic factors, like the demand for living in some major cities as opposed to other areas, and other supply constraints like where new houses are being built and zoning, and the list goes on. But today we're looking at a different aspect, how Australians feel about the property market. Because this too plays a role in the problems of accessibility and affordability that we hear so much about. Hi, I'm Jenny Henderson. I'm The Conversation's Business and Economy Editor. It's a new season for Business Briefing, so we've changed the format a bit to be based around different themes each show. And before we go into all the intricacies of renting in Australia and how the feelings of baby boomers about the property market, for example, compared to Gen Y or Gen X, my co-host Josh Nicholas looks into how advertising of properties plays into this. Huge rumpus room, full-length veranda, carport, and a whole lot of style. It's the A.V. Jennings Premier. This is a TV commercial for a housing development from the 1960s. At first, it's just a list of features, but then comes this. Rare opportunity. First home buyers, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. I'm sitting in the office of UTS professor Robert Crawford, and his desk is covered in old print ads for homes. And all of them talk about see, dreams, uh, including a, a this one from the 1940s. A vacant block of land, um, and they're imagining this home, and it's a, an enormous home, something that um, even by the standards of, of today, some 70, 80 years later, would still be a really large home. So what we can sort of see is in, in the 1940s, um, Australians had been through the Second World War and, and indeed the Depression. So this idea that we've, we've done it hard and now is the time that we achieve those rewards was really strong there. And so the advertisements, and we've got the, the advertisement here from the Liberal Party, really plays on this. They're looking out at that empty vacant block. They can see, they can imagine this ginormous home, you know, it would challenge the McMansions of today, but it's a dream. And their long, cool verandas. But they didn't have master bedrooms with ensuite bathrooms or rumpus and games rooms or the luxury kitchens, bathrooms. Beginning, it's very aspirational, like you could own a home. This is an amazing thing for us to reach for. And then in the 80s, it becomes a bit more nitty gritty. How is that, has that, is that mirror right? Is it sort of like it's tracking the way society was going. Yeah, I mean, good advertising sort of reflects or engages with the society in which, in, in which it, uh, it appears. As more and more people begin to realise their dreams of, of home ownership, and it's going, always going to be something much more modest than the McMansion in, in that early period, the next question is, um, okay, home, owning a home isn't as much of an achievement. I have to own a particular size of home. You will demand these standards, but only one building. So size and, and location, etc., become more and more important as, you know, that, that notion of, of, of achieving home ownership becomes, you know, achievable. So is this reflecting our society or is this, is this reflecting what our hopes and dreams are or is this pushing our hopes and dreams? Look, advertising uh, is a conversation in many ways. Um, advertising that's ahead of its time will make no sense to the consumer. Advertising that's behind its time will be um, old-fashioned and so ignored by the consumer. So it has to be up to date. Equally though, advertising concepts that it wants to push, others that it's less interested in. So it's not necessarily a reflection, I'd say it's a refraction. 
it highlights those aspects that work for it. Uh, home ownership, for example, is really convenient because um, it fits in with the desire to have that place. But on the advertiser side, it fits in with that desire to sell those items to furnish and make out, make no, turn a house into a home. That's even an advertising uh, statement in itself. New homes, new ideas, new inspirations for home buyers. You're welcome any day. Let me take you to a dinner table in Northcote, an inner suburb of Melbourne, where two generations are chatting about the property market. Reese is sitting next to his wife Marion. They're both baby boomers, and Reese is reminiscing about the 1980s when they were first looking for a house. We looked around this area. We didn't know where Northcote was when we bought it because we'd always lived in the inner, inner suburb. And so we had friends who lived out here and we went, where the hell is Northcote? <laughs> <laughs> and we finally found a house. But it was scary. I mean, this house at the time was $32,000. If you look at it in terms of my wage, I was on $19,000. Um, and that seemed really not very much, really, at the time. Uh, I mean, when we look at it now, it's half the house. Uh, we wanted the security of um, not being beholden, I suppose, to uh, landlords. Is that fairly typical, do you think, of Risa Marion's generation? It is, and, and I think you're talking about two types of security, which one is the more, I guess, the psychological security. And in, in our literature, we talk about is that sense of continuity, that you know where you live today and where you're going to live tomorrow, and who you are, it affects your identity. Uh, but there's also that financial security. This is Elan Wiesel, a lecturer in urban geography at the University of Melbourne. He's the expert at the table tonight. And we, and we do know that the ha home, housing, wealth is a big part of uh, household wealth in Australia. About 60% of household wealth is in people's homes. So it is uh, a source of financial security. Marion and Reese's daughter Lena and her boyfriend James are living with them at the moment. James thinks he's probably about 20 years away from owning his own house and he doesn't mind renting, although he's not doing it at the moment. Well, I mean, I've been renting for about six years now and I've lived in maybe five different places. I haven't really found it much of a struggle to find a place. By contrast, Lena does want to buy her own house. I was lucky enough to secure an ongoing full-time position at a school and that really started to change my, I guess, perspective um, on the housing market because I then moved out and started to realise how much it was to rent and I started to resent the fact that I was paying off someone else's house. Lena just talked about that being fortunate to have that position that gives you that some security. But we do find that, I guess, with Gen Y in general, that uh, there is a decline in job security but there's also, I guess, increasing job, job mobility that's by choice. So it's uh, people who, who choose to move from one work to another every couple of years. And for them, maybe tying yourself to a particular property is not the best uh, solution. There's quite a lot of housing mobility in Australia, but a lot of it is very, very localised. So people don't tend to move more than a few kilometres away from where they lived before or where they know, the, the area they feel comfortable with. I mean, it just comes down to affordability. I mean, when I talked about our purchase, it was double the price to buy the house compared of to my wage. wage. 
whereas now what what is it like you know Standard. ten times. Yeah, so on times. on those grounds alone, I think that there's real difficulty that they are facing. But I, th- I think there is a real structural shift because, I mean, talking with Lena, I mean, the fact is that she is, uh, it's a rare these days. Um, so at least for her, it's a possibility. One of the interesting things that we find is that the younger generations, uh, Generation X and Y, are becoming... Just as, just as aggressive, if not more aggressive, than the baby boomers as investors. And we're seeing a, a rise in what we call uh, rest, rent investors, so people who still don't own their own home, but they already buy an investment property. But what we've got now is a real irony because we have this whole culture of investment. Everyone has to invest, invest, invest. And they're not thinking about necessarily their uh, future or their well-being or those sort of things, those terms seem to have disappeared. And yet, at the precisely the time when it's investment, they can't. I think, I think you touch on what to me is the most fundamental issue here. And, and you're right, it's the cultural change. And it's facilitated by policy. I don't think it's just coming from, from the people, but also from, from above in a way. But it's the shift from housing as a, from home, housing as home as a right, to housing as a commodity. Mm. And that's a shift that's really changing the attitudes that you've just talked about. The rental market used to be considered a transitional space for people leaving home or just studying. But as Professor Kath Hulls from Swinburne University has found, this is changing fast. In particularly an increase in families uh, and people in middle age. Uh, some of them are there for longer periods and also an increase in higher income tenants. It used to be that you didn't really bother apart from your student days but now it's clear that there are quite a lot of high income tenants. There's no one thing that would drive all, all of that change. What, so what are some of the things that are driving, that have driven that change? Yeah, that's quite right. It's a combination of, of circumstances. Uh, partly, uh, it's just demographic change. So, you know, the period of youth seems to be extended. Everybody seems to be young until they're 40. <clears throat> and what that means more seriously is that people in education for a longer period, more people in education, longer life expectancies, people are partnering later or seriously partnering later. Uh, they're having children later. The sort of wrap-up deal of home ownership and family, which is very ingrained in our psyche, is all being pushed back. So that's a part of it, it's just demographic and social change. The other factor, I think, is, uh, is the increase in house prices, and we've seen that since about 1997. How has this transition, how does this transition compare to other countries? Have they... Have other countries around the world gone through the same transition? Um, it seems to be mainly in the ang- what I might call the Anglophone countries where this has happened. Uh, Germany has a very stable rental system. Uh, for many people, it's something they do throughout their lives, uh, but there's a lot more security of tenure, uh, and it's very common if someone sells the house uh, to sell it with the tenant. They don't have to get out. <laughs> Whereas in our case, it's almost automatically assumed that if you buy a house with a tenant, uh, or if you want to put your house on the market, the first thing that you do is to ask the tenant to leave. Uh, so it's just a different sort of cultural expectations about tenancy. You know, summed up in some of our language, people say, he's just a tenant, you know, or she's just a tenant, as though that was a second-rate citizenship. If, if we take it as an assumption that it is a negative thing, 
Is there much that we could do to tilt the incentives the way the system is to reverse the trend? I think that's more about uh, could there be more incentives for homeownership? And I think we've sort of tried that in terms of first home buyer grants and things like that. And you can have a temporary effect. Remember after the global financial crisis, that was increased and it did have some effect, but the danger is it simply flows on to higher house prices so or apartment prices, so you're not really addressing the problem. Um, I mean, I think that part of it is to make the rental sector a better place to live uh, with perhaps, you know, better, more modern regulation uh, and better quality of service uh, through the property management sector. And then people might have a real choice as to what they want rather than feeling, you know, that they have to move into home ownership. Uh, it really because that's the only way to get decent housing and to get security of housing. Perhaps you could provide security in other ways so that people can met, then make those choices. Thanks to my co-host on Business Briefing, Josh Nicholas. I'm Jenny Henderson and our theme music is by Ben Sound. We'd love your feedback on this new episode. So if you can rate us on your podcast provider, that'd be great. It also helps others find the podcast. And if you want to have more of a say, you can also comment online at the Conversations website.